Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome friends to another r slash pro revenge video. Today we've got a crazy story of leaving somebody with $125,000 of debt. But first, a story from Backroom Hammer 923 Bad roommate violates door locking agreement, ends up costing him money, and almost his job. My roommate freshman year of college was a little out of control. When we first met, we set some ground rules to ensure both of us would get along okay. Nothing was too crazy. The typical hours people were allowed to be over, what was for the room versus what is personal, etc. We both agreed that if the room was going to be empty for any reason, the door was going to be locked. We had a few sketchy hallmates and didn't want anything to get stolen. At this time, I was not the type of person to really stand up for myself. When my roommate figured that out, he started pushing the boundaries. Late night parties, tons of strangers over at all hours, beer cans everywhere. Taking things that weren't his and giving his key out to random people were just some of the things he would do. It made it extremely difficult for me to study and sleep. In hindsight, I could have just requested a roommate change, but 19-year-old me didn't think the same way mid-30s me thinks now. One Friday in the spring, I was getting ready to take a trip home for the weekend. As I was heading out the door, my roommate came in. We said a couple of words, but mostly just goodbye. I got in my car and started the two-hour drive back to my hometown. I was fortunate to be at a university that allowed cars freshman year. About 30 minutes into the drive, I realized I left something in the dorm room I needed for the weekend. I reluctantly turned around and headed back. By the time I got back to campus, most of the commuters or weekend travelers like myself had already left. I walked onto my hall and happened to hear my roommate's voice coming from a different room. As I walked by, I peeked in and he was standing in there with his back to the door, checking out an Xbox game one of my hallmates had just gotten. He was wearing his uniform for his part-time job at the sporting goods store in town. When I neared our dorm room at the other end of the hall, the music was blasting and the door was wide open. No one was in there. I was pretty mad, but I wasn't going to go confront him on it. I figured I'd just grab the textbook I left and head out. Then, I looked down at his desk. There were his keys, which meant the only way he could get back in his room is if the door was unlocked. At this point, no one that either one of us knew had seen me or even knew I was back on campus. I quickly grabbed the book I forgot, the music still blaring and his keys still on his desk. I turned the lock and shut the door. I walked past the room where he was playing Xbox and everyone was still fixated on the TV. I slipped down the stairs and out the main door. I got back to my car and off campus without anyone knowing I was there. I got up early Monday morning, drove back to campus, and went straight to class. I ended up not seeing my roommate until around 2pm when I went back to the dorm for the first time since the weekend. As soon as I got in the room, my roommate told me about this crazy thing that happened the previous Friday. Hey man, you'll never believe what happened. I went down to insert hallmate's name here room for a couple of minutes to check out a game he just bought. I left the door open because I knew it was just going to be for a minute and I was right there. Well, I'm not sure what happened, but when I came back, the door was shut and locked. The tone in his voice started to get very tense. 
I started to think that maybe he saw me after all and this was turning into a confrontation. He continued, I'm guessing air pressure changed a bit, causing the door to swing shut. I don't know. Anyway, I went to the RA desk downstairs and no one was there. I went to the dorm building down the street and no one was at that desk either. I thought about calling you, but I figured by that point you were almost home. It took me 45 minutes to find an RA to come get the master key to let me back in the room, and they charged me a $35 lockout fee. Not gonna lie, I was feeling pretty good. Not only did it inconvenience him, but it cost him a little money too. But then he went on. Because it took me so long to get into the room and get my keys, I was late to work. They ended up giving me a written warning because I've been late too many times. Next time could be termination. I was so mad I didn't really enjoy my weekend. Anyway, how are things with you? I just responded, I'm really sorry that happened to you. My weekend was alright, not as crazy as yours. For the remainder of the semester, he kept his keys on his belt loop at all times and wouldn't give his key to any friends either. He didn't get too much better about locking the door, but at the very least he got some paranoia out of it. He never did figure out how the door got locked that day. Does anybody else agree that OP actually did their roommates some favors here? Like instilling them with actually really good habits to keep your keys on you? Obviously you'd be dumb to ever reveal the truth, but you can walk away from this actually feeling pretty good because you feel like, in a way, they learned a lot from this experience, right? Or do you think a guy like that will probably just fall back to their old ways once they get complacent enough? Let me know what you guys think in the comments down below. Our next story is from District Dan. Airbnb host left me an unfair review and it cost them hundreds. I recently attended a friend's wedding a few hours away from home and the girlfriend and I decided to get an Airbnb so she could bring her dog. We found a nice place that allowed pets, took off early from work and arrived Friday late afternoon. About 30 minutes later, the owner shows up to see how we're doing while we have the dog on the porch. We make some small talk and he mentions that we didn't indicate we were bringing a dog. I felt bad as it was an honest mistake and I'd never lie to someone to get out of paying the pet fee. We tell him that and offer to pay the $25 fee on the spot. He refuses to take the money and says that he loves dogs and eventually heads out. We don't think too much else about it, but when we leave, we decide to give the place a much more thorough cleaning than was in the instructions. The dog didn't chew any furniture or leave any other damage or mess, at least that we didn't clean up. In our minds, the trip was a success and the Airbnb was a great fit. I got the email from them to leave a review and I left a 5-star review and said the house and the owner were great. But then I saw his review of me and a private message where he blasted me for not telling him I was bringing a dog. How dogs cause them so much more work and how we shouldn't leave dogs alone in the house. This didn't sit well with me at all since I thought we had handled this person to person when he came by on his first day. I was and still am happy to pay for the pet fee and there was no indication anywhere on the posting that we couldn't leave the dog alone for a few hours while we were at a wedding, nor did he say that while we chatted and told him we were here for a wedding. For him to post that on my Airbnb profile felt like a cheap shot. I responded to him that in the chat and said as much, and while Airbnb couldn't do anything about the review, since it didn't violate any of their policies, my girlfriend did point out that hosts aren't supposed to show up to the property unannounced. I had no idea and figured this was his property and he's allowed to show up, at least to check in with the guests. Normally I wouldn't care, especially since it's a very cordial interaction. But since he took a cheap shot with my review, 
I decided to do the same. I reached out to Airbnb support to tell them about his unannounced visit, and they forwarded it to their security team. I answered a few questions about the interaction, and they spoke to him. A week or so later, they let me know that he was in violation of their policy, and they refunded me two out of the three days of the stay, which came out to be about $200, all because of a bad review. So, I kind of get the owner's plight in the beginning here, if you, you know, overlook the fact that they're not supposed to even be there anyways, but you show up, you see that dog that was not disclosed being there, that's a big oopsie. But I wholeheartedly agree this owner was awful in two ways. First of all, they weren't even supposed to show up. And second, you did have a person-to-person talk there. They offered to try to correct it, you said no, and then you go and you turn around and blast them online. That's just so underhanded. Our next story is from BrianDog20, passive-aggressively used color choice and spreadsheet for petty revenge. I have a boss in the USA, which means we mostly communicate by email, I'm in Europe. His style is abrupt, patronizing, and micromanaging. This week, he asked me to update a spreadsheet for him to present to the company board. I had to use color to indicate any changes, but he left the color choice to me. Very generous. My petty revenge was to use the color Jerk Amber to indicate said changes. In case anyone needs it, Jerk Amber is FFCC88 in hex or 255-204-136-RGB. Honestly, I respect what OP did here because you could try to find some way to screw them over or make them look bad or intentionally botch an edit, but what OP did here was just slip something in there that almost nobody's going to recognize as just a little peace of mind for them to kind of be able to let it go and move past it. By the way, if you're enjoying these stories, make sure to hit those like and subscribe buttons down below so you never miss any of my daily videos. Every single video has awesome stories like our next one from Tigerwing. Trash my extracurricular activities in front of your class? Guess you don't get to be head football coach. In my sophomore year of high school, I had a social studies teacher who is one of the worst people I've ever met. This teacher, let's call him Mr. Green, had gone to my high school in the 90s and eventually became a teacher. Because he never left, he took out his resentment on the students. He set the tone for the year by roundhouse kicking a kid's desk because he fell asleep on day one, period one, of the year. He would spend most classes ranting about politics instead of teaching us about geography. His favorite week of the year was when he could show us Ben-Hur instead of teaching us anything. It seemed like he loathed teaching. Then why did he do it? Well, Mr. Green saw himself mostly as a full-time assistant football coach, part-time teacher. He loved football and the only thing he loved more than football was coaching the school's football team, which was why he put up with teaching in the first place. If he wasn't advocating for Herman Cain's 999 plan, he was pushing his classes to go to football games. In comes me, 15 years old and painfully uncool. The dawning realization I'm gay is ruining my self-esteem. If one person acknowledges my existence, I'll probably end everything, you know, teenager things. Because I was so well-adjusted, I got a role in my first school play. The production was a zombie version of a Shakespeare classic, Twelfth Night of the Living Dead. On the Friday of the show, the cast decides to put on our zombie makeup to advertise. I walk into Mr. Green's class and sit down. He asks why I look like an exhausted member of KISS, understandable, and I mention the show that night. This sets Mr. Green off. He launches into what felt like a 20-minute rant directed at me in front of the entire class. 
He says because school theater productions sometimes occur on the same night as his games, the plays ruin school spirit because they take people away from the football games. It didn't appear to matter that the theater department would move the date of the show if it conflicted with a home game. This one was an away game. Also, our team was known in the district as being one of the worst. So, going to games was a lesson in disappointment and self-flagellation. As Mr. Green lobs this rant at me, it's ironic I'm a zombie as I become deader and deader inside. Eventually, I fully shut down. He moves on and I sit in class embarrassed, not helped by the makeup making me look like a raccoon with a crack addiction. If I haven't demonstrated how cool I was already, I was also in TV production. Later that year, I sat in Mr. Green's class watching the video announcements I'd spent hours editing the night prior. They were filled with school information, but also fun little sketches made by teenagers. They weren't good, but we were having fun and being creative, God forbid. Because I had my TV production lanyard visible, Mr. Green laid into me again. He ranted about how the sketches were stupid and a giant waste of time. Note, ironic, since he definitely showed us an episode of Ancient Aliens once in his class. It was clear Mr. Green did not respect any school extracurriculars that weren't sports. As Mr. Green was the assistant coach, he made it well known his dream role was to be head coach of the team. In my senior year, he was finally getting his chance. The head coach of the football team was fired after his coaching led to an 0-4 mid-season opening to the season. Mr. Green took his place as the interim head coach. I wasn't in his class at the time, but through the grapevine, I could tell he was loving the power. In the spring following another mediocre football season, the school was in the process of finding another coach, and Mr. Green was one of their top candidates. Part of the vetting process was having teachers from the social studies department giving testimonials on Mr. Green's character. I had told both of these stories to my favorite teacher. Let's call him Mr. Fuchsia. Mr. Fuchsia was my TV production teacher, and his wife had directed the zombie play I was in the year prior. So, my accounts of his flippant nature towards legitimate classes that weren't football had thoroughly pissed him off. Mr. Fuchsia was also a history teacher. One day, I'm eating lunch with Mr. Fuchsia, and he asks, Hey, I have to give my thoughts on Mr. Green as the new football coach. Can I tell the stories you told me sophomore year? I still remember looking at him mid-housing a Subway sandwich and giving him a strong, definitive, absolutely. Mr. Fuchsia brought this story to the selection committee. A month or so later, the announcement was made. Mr. Green was remaining assistant coach, while a younger former alum of my high school was announced as head coach. Mr. Green was furious. He left the team shortly thereafter and never got to be the head coach. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. While I don't know if my experiences are specifically what led to him getting denied his dream role, I credit myself for at least part of it. He may not have taught me much, but Mr. Green did give me one important lesson. Find it within yourself to respect everyone because you never know when disrespect can bite you in the butt. I guess for a lot of schools, if you're a football coach, you have to also teach some kind of class. And I suppose often a lot of times they might have like a wellness class or like a PE teacher role. 
but for some reason it always seems like if they're not in like the gym classes, they're social studies. Why is that? Or some like adjacent class. I had an economics teacher who was an assistant coach for I think like track and field. And and he didn't put in like any effort. He would give you extra credit to the point where you would pass if you just took down notes and turned them in at the end of the semester. Meaning you walk in, he puts a PowerPoint on the projector, and you just scribble down word for word what it says and turn it in at the end of the year. Also, join the track and field team. Our next story is from Hobo Duchess. Have fun changing that diaper. I'm a foster mom and I'll start by saying that I would never do anything that isn't in the best interest of the kids or that could harm them in their reconciliation in any way. I'll also say that the hardest part is dealing with the bio parents. I'm dealing with a bio mom who's getting overnight weekend visits now, but she leaves all the responsibility to me. I have to send formula, food, diapers, and wipes every week, even though she gets a stipend for them and she lives in a house with full facilities. And when I get the kid back on Monday, she's always filthy and hasn't had a bath. Her clothes all need to be washed and she hasn't had a diaper change for at least six to nine hours, and sometimes not all day. And they'll be dripping wet and full of dirt, grass, stickers, burrs, etc. She also only feeds the baby formula. You can tell by the solid white poops the kid has the first day she's back and how fast she runs out and asks for more. And the kid is a toddler now, so we're weaning her off of formula and night feedings. So anyway, I'm working with a social worker on all that and some other stuff to help train the mom. But, or should I say, but, I know she changes the baby's poopy diaper when she has her. I also know that when this baby eats poppy seed muffins, her body somehow filters the seeds out. And when she poops, the now sticky seeds end up coming out like a shotgun and going all over inside her clothes and diaper like someone emptied a baggie of glitter down her shirt. And you can't just wipe them with a wipe, you have to pick them off and they stick to everything they touch. From the changing table to the wall when the baby squirms, everything. Except the wipes that seem poppyphobic and deflect the seeds. I also know that when she eats blackberries and blueberries, she gets black poop with blueberry skin somehow intact and they stick to her like wallpaper. So guess what we've been snacking on all morning while we wait to take her over to her mom's? It's a passive-aggressive way to get her to bathe the kid and see that she can eat solid foods. Have fun changing that one. I mean, I get why OP did it, but like, was this really necessary? Like, obviously the mom isn't taking great care of the kid, but why put the mom and the kid through that experience that probably will just end up having the kid get neglected even more, probably? If they can hardly do anything to take care of this kid and all of a sudden now they have problematic issues like that where it's straight up nightmarish to change them, what do you think a mom like that is going to do? Are they going to all of a sudden rise to the challenge of taking proper care of their kid? Or are they just going to make that another thing they neglect? Our next story is from the Kiwi one. So what was your name? So I had a horrible boss named Kurt. He really wanted to fire my butt so bad, but he only made it easier for me to mess with him back. So at first I would call him Kurt, but after he showed me how much of a jerk he was, I started calling him a word in another language that means Richard. Just so you know, it's not an English speaking country and the word means Richard and it's kind of vulgar. The first time I called him this, he really looked strange at me as if he had heard wrong. But after calling him this like 10 times, he took me aside screaming and so on. When he was done, I yet again called him that word. Second note, firing someone in Norway is about as easy as walking to the moon. 
So he took me into a formal hearing, so I called my union who came with and an army of people and a doctor, confirming I have impaired speech. So after that, I loved looking him in the face and calling him Richard. I mean, I guess this just continues to put to shame the experience in the US. Imagine having such good job security and job unions that you can call somebody a Richard to their face and stand there like, you can't fire me. Maybe it's gone too far in that situation, I don't know. Our next story is from Of Pearls and Swine, Topsy Turvy. I started dating a girl about 7 years ago. When we met, she was getting up on her feet and trying to find her way in life. I let my imagination take over and started envisioning her potential and what kind of life we would have together. I had never had the feeling of a disarmed, punch-drunk love that I had for her, and that probably clouded my judgment. Throughout our time together, she would reach out and ask for money for things, repairing a car, paying a bill, etc. We were getting closer the longer we dated, and I would always help her, assuming that I was making an investment in both of our lives by helping her through a period of instability. In all, I probably gave her about 15000 After about four years of this, I finally popped the question. She accepted, and we were married after a brief engagement. About six months into our marriage, she told me that she'd been having car trouble and needed about $2,000 for the repair. This struck me as a bit odd. By that time, I was more than familiar with her vehicle and knew her explanation for what the issue was didn't make sense. One evening after she went to sleep, I went and had a look at the part of the car she said was faulty. No issue. This set off alarms. I grabbed her phone and, on a hunch, typed in the amount she had asked for and it returned a text message with a guy she had previously dated. Apparently he had reached out and asked for help repairing his car and, lo and behold, he had asked for the same amount she had requested from me. My stomach turned as the thought entered my mind that maybe I had subsidized some of this guy's other expenses across the time I had dated my wife. As I read through the messages further, I realized this guy was the Lester Diamond to my Sam Rothstein and I had been played like a fool. Look up that reference if you're not familiar. I had spent my entire relationship as a proxy sugar daddy. I thought on this for a few weeks and tried to figure out what to do next. These sacrifices were not insignificant to me. I'd been working as a surgical resident for much of our courtship, making very little money and working long hours to form a strong, solid foundation for our future. This was devastating and I realized that I couldn't reconcile the situation. Once I had cooled down, I waited for an evening, my wife went to bed early, and I got into her phone. I caught up on the most recent messages she and her paramour had sent one another. Then I initiated a conversation with him. I posed as her and told him that she'd been drinking, she's a recovering alcoholic, and that she needed to get some things off her chest. I didn't go overboard, but I did send messages to the effect that she wasn't over him and that her affections had grown since marrying me. I all but teed him up to move in for a relationship with her. I then abruptly ended the chat and asked that we not talk about the conversation again in order to avoid furthering her relapse, but that we both keep in mind what we'd spoken about and see if we could make a life together work. I then deleted the text from her phone and hoped the two would proceed things forward together. They did. I kept an eye on the texts for the next few months and progressively saw things heat up between them until it looked like she was committed to leaving me. 
We didn't have many assets together at the time, as I was still finishing a surgical residency, so I knew the divorce would be quick and painless and that we would go our separate ways, and she would start a new life with the guy whose underachievements I'd been funding. So I filed for divorce and had her served papers. I was generous with the $10,000 in assets between us in order to make the split as quick as possible and went on our ways to begin life anew. And you'd think that's the end of the story, right? Oh no, friend. You see, mama didn't raise an uck. In our estate, not only are assets separated upon marital severance, but so are debts. And medical school is freaking expensive. Really expensive. A quarter of a million dollars expensive. So the witch ended up parting with a gift of about $125,000 of my student loans. And guess who she shotgun married two months after our divorce? Fortunately for her, she'll only have to pay half that amount, because if history does indeed repeat itself, he'll be paying the other half once their marriage ends as well. It was all I could do to not send them a piggy bank as a wedding gift. Best $15,000 I ever spent. Now, obviously, I don't know where this story takes place, and I don't know if those are realistic laws or whatever, but this sounds really weirdly abusive, like somebody could just try to convince another person to marry them, split up right away, and bam, all of a sudden you've got $75,000 of student loans gone. Now you just gotta find another sucker to let you turn around and marry them. Bam, you got another 37500 gone there. Honestly, I'd be surprised if there was any place that upheld that like a school loan is some kind of marital asset that gets split up. And our final story of the day is from Suspicious Treat 219. Cheat on me, and I'll report you to cops. So, this story is about my ex. We were dating in 2018 and 2019 for almost one year. And I had a bit busy year due to me being in my final year of med school, and I couldn't give him much time. After six months, he started acting super strange and got extremely aggressive, and was being very weird. I tried talking to him multiple times, but the only reason he gave was because I wasn't giving him time. Six months went this way, more or less fighting and making up. After almost a year, I found out through Instagram that he was cheating on me. I contacted the other girl, and she confirmed that they were dating for six months, and she was shocked that he was cheating on her as well. When she confronted him, he said absolutely vile things about me that I was forcing him to be with me and stalking him. I was a witch and promiscuous, etc, etc. So, I sent her all of the recent chats and pictures of us, and the one anniversary gift that he sent me. He got dumped pretty fast by both of us. Later, he kept calling and texting me, blaming me for spoiling his relation and causing his mistress pain. Then he said something that was honestly the most painful thing. Me being a doctor, his mother always consulted me usually for a second opinion. He introduced me as a friend, and always used to say he wasn't ready to tell her that I'm his girlfriend. But he had introduced his new girl with whom he had cheated on me as his girlfriend, which pissed me off to the next level. I made a petty revenge plan. He worked in his family business, which was led by his mother. So firstly, I called his mother and told her everything. And I also mentioned that he was a big pothead and probably smoked five to six joints per day. She gave him heck and fired him then and there. So he called me and started giving me heck. 
So I told him if he kept calling me more, I'll call the cops and inform them he's illegally growing marijuana. It was just a threat for him to leave me alone. But by some coincidence, the next day, cops actually showed up to his place for some other legal work and to meet his mother. He was higher than a kite and was panicking so hard that he just went to a cop and confessed him smoking weed and growing one weed plant. Everyone was shocked. I'm from the place where all marijuana is still illegal. Due to his family having connections, he was only slapped with a bit of fines and no report was filed, but his mother kicked him out from their family home. His mother called me later to apologize and mention all this to me. She was genuinely so pissed off with him. We're still in contact and she's the nicest lady. You know, the funniest thing is it seems like for a lot of people, the partners who are awful and just treat you the worst and backstab you in ways you can't fathom, their parents will end up being like the sweetest, most supportive people and like apologizing on behalf of their own kids. I've read a number of stories on here involving partners who are just so bad and their parents will end up being like the sweetest and like some people even like OP maintain a relationship with them. Imagine how awkward it is for this awful partner to know that they went and backstabbed somebody and ended up in the end being in so much of a panic they ratted themselves out to the cops over their marijuana plant and now they're still hanging out and talking with their mom, just having a good old time. It would bring me a lot of joy to find out that every time OP calls up their mom, if this guy's ever around or ever hears it, he probably gets awkward, anxious, dips out of there as quickly as possible. But let's be real, he's not around anymore because his mom kicked him out. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now, if you want to hear another absolutely crazy revenge story, click on that left video. Or if you missed my latest video, check out the one on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories.